Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Chapter 35 of A Tramp Abroad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Tramp Abroad by Mark Twain, Chapter 35, Swindling the Coroner. A great and priceless thing is a new interest. How it takes possession of a man, how it clings to him, how it rides him. I strode onward from the Schwarenbach hostelry, a changed man, a reorganized personality. I walked into a new world I saw with new eyes. I had been looking aloft at the giant show-peaks only as things to be worshipped for their grandeur and magnitude, and their unspeakable grace of form. I looked up at them now, as also things to be conquered and climbed. My sense of their grandeur and their noble beauty was neither lost nor impaired. I had gained a new interest in the mountains, without losing the old ones. I followed the steep lines up, inch by inch, with my eye, and noted the possibility or impossibility of following them with my feet. When I saw a shining helmet of ice projecting above the clouds, I tried to imagine I saw files of black specks toiling up it roped together with a gossamer thread. We skirted the lonely little lake called Daubancy, and presently passed close by a glacier on the right, a thing like a great river, frozen solid in its flow, and broken square off like a wall at its mouth. I had never been so near a glacier before. Here we came upon a new board shanty, and found some men engaged in building a stone house. So the Schwarenbach was soon to have a rival. We bought a bottle or so of beer here. At any rate, they called it beer. But I knew by the price that it was dissolved jewelry, and I perceived by the taste that dissolved jewelry is not good stuff to drink. We were surrounded by a hideous desolation. We stepped forward to a sort of jumping-off place, and were confronted by a startling contrast. We seemed to look down into fairyland. Two or three thousand feet below us was a bright green level, with a pretty town in its midst, and a silvery stream winding among the meadows. The charming spot was walled in on all sides by gigantic precipices clothed with pines, and over the pines, out of the softened distances, rose the snowy domes and peaks of the Monte Rosa region. How exquisitely green and beautiful that little valley down there was! The distance was not great enough to obliterate details. It only made them little and mellow and dainty, like landscapes and towns seen through the wrong end of a spyglass. Right under us a narrow ledge rose up out of the valley, with a green, slanting, bench-shaped top, 
and grouped about upon this green bay's bench were a lot of black and white sheep which looked merely like oversized worms the bench seemed lifted well up into our neighborhood but that was a deception it was a long way down to it we began our descent now by the most remarkable road i have ever seen it wound its corkscrew curves down the face of the colossal precipice a narrow way with always the solid rock wall at one elbow and perpendicular nothingness at the other we met an everlasting procession of guides porters mules litters and tourists climbing up this steep and muddy path and there was no room to spare when you had to pass a tolerably fat mule i always took the inside when i heard or saw the mule coming and flattened myself against the wall i preferred the inside of course but i should have had to take it anyhow because the mule prefers the outside a mule's preference on the precipice is a thing to be respected well his choice is always the outside his life is mostly devoted to carrying bulky panniers and packages which rest against his body therefore he is habituated to taking the outside edge of mountain paths to keep his bundles from rubbing against rocks or banks on the other when he goes into the passenger business he absurdly clings to his old habit and keeps one leg of his passenger always dangling over the great deeps of the lower world while the passenger's heart is in the highlands so to speak more than once i saw a mule's hind foot cave over the outer edge and send earth and rubbish into the bottom abyss and i noticed that upon these occasions the rider whether male or female looked tolerably unwell there was one place where an eighteen-inch breadth of light masonry had been added to the verge of the path and as there was a very sharp turn here a panel of fencing had been set up there at some time as a protection this panel was old and gray and feeble and the light masonry had been loosened by recent rains a young american girl came along on a mule and in making the turn the mule's hind foot caved all the loose masonry and one of the fence posts overboard the mule gave a violent lurch inboard to save himself and succeeded in the effort but that girl turned as white as the snows of mont blanc for a moment the path was simply a groove cut into the face of the precipice there was a four-foot breadth of solid rock under the traveller and four-foot breadth of solid rock just above his head like the roof of a narrow porch he could look out from this gallery and see a sheer summitless and bottomless wall of rock before him across a gorge or crack a biscuit's toss in width but he could not see the bottom of his own precipice unless he lay down and projected his nose over the edge i did not do this because i did not wish to soil my clothes every few hundred yards at particularly bad places one came across a panel or so of plank fencing but they were always old and weak and they generally leaned out over the chasm and did not make any rash promises to hold up people who might need support there was one of these panels which had only its upper board left a pedestrianizing english youth came tearing down the path was seized with an impulse to look over the precipice and without an instant's thought he threw his weight upon that crazy board it went outward a foot i never made a gasp before that came so near to suffocating me the english youth's face simply showed a lively surprise but nothing more he went swinging along valleyward again 
as if he did not know he had just swindled a coroner by the closest kind of a shave. The alpine litter is sometimes like a cushioned box made fast between the middles of two long poles, and sometimes it is a chair with a back to it and a support for the feet. It is carried by relays of strong porters. The motion is easier than that of any other conveyance. We met a few men and a great many ladies in litters. It seemed to me that most of the ladies looked pale and nauseated. Their general aspect gave me the idea that they were patiently enduring a horrible suffering. As a rule, they looked at their laps and left the scenery to take care of itself. But the most frightened creature I saw was a led horse that overtook us. Poor fellow, he had been born and reared in the grassy levels of the Kandersteg Valley, and had never seen anything like this hideous place before. Every few steps he would stop short, glance wildly out from the dizzy heights, and then spread his red nostrils wide and pant as violently as if he had been running a race. And all the while he quaked from head to heel as with a palsy. He was a handsome fellow, and he made a fine statuesque picture of terror, but it was pitiful to see him suffer so. This dreadful path has had its tragedy. Baedeker, with his customary over-terseness, begins and ends the tale thus. The descent on horse-pack should be avoided. In 1861 a Comtesse d'Erlicourt fell from her saddle over the precipice and was killed on the spot. We looked over the precipice there, and saw the monument which commemorates the event. It stands in the bottom of the gorge, in a place which has been hollowed out of the rock to protect it from the torrent and the storms. Our old guide never spoke but when spoken to, and then limited himself to a syllable or two. But when we asked him about this tragedy, he showed